Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, here with my crew, Chili Dog guarding the door, Stevie Ray is sitting on my leg, and Jimmy Lee on my arm because she refuses to stay on my shoulder no matter how many times I yell at So, we're chilling on a Saturday night. Not a lot going on. Recovery day, almost an easy day for me. Shot some uh, mountain bike photos this morning. Trying to get my Chris Radcliffe on. Not quite, but they look pretty good, I think. So, don't have a lot to talk about. Um, did we talk about Paulette last week? She's in France, still running. She withdrew from the Trans Pyrenees, but is continuing. Um, to the finish, it was easier not to be in the race, uh, apparently, like you'd walk into an aid station and there would be no food, no water, and people that didn't care. So she's continuing on with uh, Floppy's help, just mostly going to do the whole thing. She did say she might uh, skip ahead a little bit to meet up, be on trail with some of the other people that have dropped out and they're still going so uh, she will be ranked right now she's 127th out of 260 yes Jimmy. jimmy's gonna sing a little now 263 starters so uh, she said she doesn't know after doing it she either really really wants to do it again or will never never do it again that's enough so uh that's how that goes um so, not much else going on. Waiting to hear uh, from going to Portugal. Um, Ray Gaspisee is going. Um, I think probably everybody has seen the link, but uh, they are looking to, to uh, bring a team in for free. So, uh, I'll put that link in the show notes, and uh, you can look at that. So, that's it, I guess. Uh, go fast, take chances. This one, eh, no, I have Jim introduce himself, so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. No, got a lot of cool people coming up, so pay attention. Yeah, you too, Jimmy. Bye. Lieutenant Colonel Weinstein. Hey, Jim, this is Randy Erickson. Hi, Randy, how are you? I'm doing well, even though it's kind of early for me for podcasting, but... <laughs> I can, I'll survive. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I apologize for that. It's the East Coast time for me, and uh, the day goes downhill after about 10 o'clock, so. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, it works for me because i got to go to work, and then i got to go shoot um, sprint cars tonight, so I won't be home till midnight. And then i got to get up and be on the Wyoming border by 7 o'clock in the morning to shoot uh, some long-distance cyclists doing a, doing a Trans-South Dakota unsupported race across the state. So Sounds exciting. Yeah. And on top of that, I've got a friend that's doing a 400-mile off-road time trial this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> man, you're a busy man. I am. So, um, well, so are you. you. You probably didn't even notice this, but um, in your message it was funny because your military meetings were at 0700, 0800, and then you're talking to the civilian at 9 a.m. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I just try to um, I try I try to uh, be respectful of the fact that not everyone knows the the timing conventions, but uh, yeah, <laughs> even I screwed up sometimes. So, um, who are you? I I get in trouble when I don't ask people who they are, and then we do a whole whole interview, and then people will say, "Who was that you were talking to?" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jim Weinstein. And who and who are you? <laughs> oh, good question. Um, yeah, I'm a, a active duty Air Force officer. Uh, I'm a dietitian, uh, PhD, uh, board certified in sports nutrition. Been working uh, with the Air Force on uh, performance nutrition issues for 19 years. Got uh, one more year till I hit my 20, but uh, still got other undone tasks with the with the military that I'm looking forward to. Um, I, uh, I'm a lifelong cyclist. I've been uh, racing my bike since I was 15 years old and uh, just got into adventure racing uh, because of Ron Flick this year. I uh, started a nonprofit a few years ago uh, called U.S. Military Endurance Sports with uh, a couple buddies and uh, 
have been uh, growing that organization to support uh, support military veterans and active duty members using uh, using endurance sports and activity to to get healthy. And uh, we started that program, and we're now quite a bit larger than when we first started. We have almost 1,300 members, and so that that takes up a lot of my uh, my spare time uh, managing managing that. Uh, I'm a dad. I got uh, two children. I have an uh, 11-year-old son and a eight-year-old daughter, and both of them are excited about uh, mountain biking and adventure racing, too, so I'm just looking forward to getting them out there when I can, and I've um, got a wife who also is uh, is into sports and uh, running, and so that's uh, I think that, that's who I am. All right, well, thanks for being on the podcast, and we'll talk. <laughs> you, you do a good rundown. Have you done that before? <laughs> uh, no, but... Oh. Uh, so, all right, that's a lot of stuff. Where should we... Where do you Where do you want to start? That's a good question. I'm, I don't know. I guess where you want to start, I would say uh, you're talking to a newbie. Um, you know, I, adventure racing is new to me, uh, although I'm an athlete and been an athlete for a long time. I've sort of, you know, been looking for for other things to do. I have some mountaineering experience. Um, when I was you know, stationed at, uh, in Colorado Springs, I spent four years there volunteering for uh, mountain search and rescue. So always kind of enjoyed the the outdoors and the hills and. And uh, so adventure racing sort of was kind of a natural. And, um, but yeah, I guess not really sure where you want to start. And I guess ask questions away and uh, I'll try to keep it interesting. We will. Um, th- this is something I'm finding about adventure racers, <clears throat> and you kind of bring it home, is adventure racers don't ever just sit around and do nothing. How do you, how do you fit all that into your schedule? I mean, obviously... You got a job, you got a career, you got USMES, kids. How, how do you how do you how do you do that? I find it hard enough being here with the dog and a couple of birds to try and get everything done. I keep telling myself I need to slow down. Um, you know, I, I, but I think you know I thrive and I'm happiest when I I'm busy and all of my time is filled up with something. Um, I think that the key to me being happy is I'm, I'm I try to keep my wheel. Wheel, uh, you know, evenly divided. Um, I think I read a book a couple of years ago. It was uh, called Principle-Centered Leadership by uh, Stephen Covey, and he talks about sort of having this wheel in your life, and you know, the spokes in the wheel, and each each little pie section occupies something. And you know, for me at the time I read the book, like the biggest pie was money, and everything else didn't matter. You know, I was young, and money was the only thing that mattered to me at the time. And um, realized that I sort of needed to reset some new goals on what made me happy. And um, you know, my family occupies a, a big piece, and and being healthy occupies a big piece and being outdoors occupies a piece but I try to keep it try to keep it even um, you know I'm constantly sort of resetting and realizing that maybe I'm spending too much time in one area or another but I think I think at the end of the day um, people who are really good at time management um, and thrive on being busy all the time can succeed at being busy and mm. uh, I think that's sort of where I fit and uh, and what works for me I, I enjoy being a little stressed out yeah I, I just this isn't new, but I just heard it again the other day, and it's like if you want something done, ask a busy person. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, in the military, we, we you know, it's we we know who the people are that get things done, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the good part of it is is you know who they are. The bad part is is they're the ones who always get asked to do the stuff. Um, but you know, that's I think that's that's probably where I fall. You know, I, I I'm a bit a doer um, my entire life, and it just that's. That's who I am, and it's it's what I enjoy doing. And I think I think I, I naturally fit into sort of the adventure racing scene. I mean, I enjoy all the sports, um, mm-hmm. but I think what I enjoy most about it, and I'm not sure if I'm, you know, the more I do adventure racing, the more I realize maybe this is an underappreciated part of it. But there's a cerebral part to adventure racing, and there's a strategy to it, and there's you know there's a thinking game about what goes into you know how much you rest and how much you race, and um, and and where you what, what what where you go for certain points and um, that that part of it's uh, especially enjoying to me, and I think, uh, yeah, I think I think that's part of um, part of the draw for me. Yeah, I think that I think, yeah, underappreciated is perfect because there's a there's a lot more than just walking down from one CP to another. All that uh, planning beforehand. Um, it sounds like you're probably a good planner beforehand. Yeah, I try to be. I mean, I think. You know, I try to be ready for every contingency, and I think 
um, that showed in the size of my pack for uh, for Cowboy Tough, you know. And yeah. I think one of the lessons I learned, you know, I mean, I'm, like I've only done this, literally that was my first expedition race and my second adventure race of all time. So, um, and I come from my mountaineering experience and my outdoor experiences from search and rescue where you carry everything you need and everything everybody else needs, right? Yeah. And so, so you know, when I first started packing my pack and I'm like, well, I need a sleeping bag and I need to make sure that I have a liner and maybe I should bring a second liner for one of my teammates. And, um, you know, and then, and then when I start seeing some of the other teams and I'm like, Jesus, how are, how are their packs 12 pounds and mine is 40? Um, and then, and then, I mean, that, you know, that, that, that totally is a killer. And so then I'm, you know, starting to rethink how I'm pre-planning uh, and I, I think this is going to be fun, a fun learning experience and a challenge for me is, um, is you know, starting to reorganize my pre-planning to think about um, both training and, and being ready, but also in what I'm bringing with me uh, on different events. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and well, maybe just don't like your teammates so much, then you don't have to bring everything for them. <laughs> you know, I, it's not that my teammates ever need anything from me. I think it's just yeah. a it's a contingency planning thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, wh- what if it's cold? What if we're stuck in the mountains? What if, you know, we get hit by a bolt of lightning? What if a mountain lion attacks us? You know, and I know it, you can take it to the nth degree, right? Um, yeah. And so, um, I think I think I, that that's going to be one of my challenges is sort of backing away from, you know, having three safety ropes everywhere you go. I guess would be a good analogy. So. Yeah, I well, I know exactly what you mean because, like, for Cowboy Tough, I mean, I'm throwing stuff in that I haven't used in, I don't know, six years, but, you know, all the extra cables and, well, I might need that, might not need that. But when you go overseas and you're a little limited, you're like, okay, I haven't used this for five years. Do I really need to take it? Well, it might be nice if I don't have time. <laughs> It, uh, yeah. Here's my my best example is I have a, I take a slider for taking video you know get that nice pan across and I think I've taken it to Costa Rica Ecuador New Zealand you know Cowboy Tough Primal Quest and it's never been out of the case exactly <laughs> but it'd be cool if I used it. So, you know, let me tell you something that's exciting to me is that, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into with adventure racing, and I yeah. wasn't sure how accessible it was going to be to sort of the everyday person. You know, was I going to need to buy thousands of dollars of gear yeah. to get into this sport? I mean, I have a mountain bike and I have a pack, but, you know, was I going to need, you know, what else was I going to need, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that one of the things that, that I found just in these first two races is that 99% of everything I need, I have. Now, it might not be the lightest. Uh, it might not be the fastest. Uh, you know, maybe I can get those pieces of equipment over time. Um, but, you know, other than buying a, a paddle that separated up, you know, one of those cool RPC3 paddles, um, you know, I've I've got just about everything that I need to get started with. And I think that's something that's going to resonate within our organization. You know, we have 1,200 athletes. 600 of them have said, maybe a few hundred less, but have said they're interested in doing an adventure race. And so, you know, that's got Ron and and me really excited about yeah. getting some of these folks involved. And one of the one of the barriers is, is how much equipment do I need? And I think you know, you know, us telling them, look, you know, a, a jersey and arm warmers can count as a as a base layer. And all of you have jersey and arm warmers, and you know, all of you have knee warmers and leg warmers, and that can double as you know having tights. And so, you know, you may have everything you need and not even know it. Uh, and I think that's that's going to be a big draw as we start to educate our, our team and find good small races to get them out to. So yeah, I think. Yeah, really, other than, like, a fancy paddle and, and maybe climbing gear. Yeah, everybody's got everything. So, yeah. Yeah, because that, that can be kind of daunting if, if, if you were coming into this and you looked at, a, yeah, at the gear list for a race. It's like, that's a lot of gear. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things that's daunting is, you know, when you get to the race, yeah, look at the gear list for sure. You know, I mean, even with Cowboy Tough, obviously the expedition races are probably a little more challenging, and I did have to buy a few things for Cowboy Tough, but, you know, I mean, a lot lot of stuff is in your garage. You know, I mean, I have a headlamp in the garage. I have batteries there. I have 10 feet of of duct tape that I can roll up somewhere and water bottles and whatnot. Um, I think think it's a a little bit intimidating when you go to some of these adventure races and you see, like, you know, one of the, the top teams will bring their, you know, you know, multi-thousand dollar fancy, you know, kayak, um, you know, racing kayak or whatever that, that you, there's no way that, you know, the, the generic one they give you, you'll be able to keep up. But um, at the same time, it's like, you know, I mean, it's almost like, you know, you in bike racing, you, some people have really expensive bikes and some people have, you know, really cheap bikes. And I think um, from a bike, you know, my coach always used to tell me it's the 
it's the Indian, not the arrow. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, I know sometimes with some of these boats, I mean, it may be the arrow. <laughs> too, <laughs> a little but, bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, like, I, I think maybe that's here too. I mean, Cowboy Tough was a bit unique for me and that was so much paddling. But in a lot of cases, at least from the you know, venture races I've looked at, you know, there's so much, you know, biking and, and, and trekking in a lot of the other ones that, um, you know, equipment, equipment advantages, uh, you know, start to even out. And a lot of it is going to be choices that you make. So yeah. I think that that's why that's what gets me excited is that, you know, there's some leveling of the playing field and fitness level, how well you work as a team, how well you work under pressure, what choices you make um, will play just as much a role in, in how well you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, how does how does your military career work with you for adventure racing? Have you, you know, obviously you've got almost 20 years of training, discipline, uh, thinking. Do you think a military person can, makes a really good adventure racer to start with? You got a base for, for adventure racing? Yeah, you know, I think it's funny you say that. I think mili- so that military people, people who are successful in the military, possess some of the traits that will trans, uh, trans- transition well into adventure racing. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, performing well under pressure. You know, a good example is Ron Flick. Um, you know, no matter how challenging and threatening a situation in adventure racing gets, Ron can always say, "At least I'm not being shot at." You know, absolutely. And so, yeah. you know, and, and so, you know, I, I've never personally been in combat, but I've been in a war zone and 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 been on the receiving end of of of, of enemy mortars for months at a time, and. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, I can constantly tell myself, you know, that, that it's, it's not, you know, th- these are situations I can get through. So that's the first, you know, sort of trait. I think the second one is uh, commonly making decisions under pressure. And so, you know, I found that um, in stressful situations, people get, can get wound up and, and you know, oftentimes that will affect their decision making. Uh, and, you know, we've got a lot of training in, in staying calm and methodic and, and using checklists and sticking to them no matter how crazy things get. And that that has an advantage. Uh, another one is, is teamwork. So we are not immune uh, to the challenges that uh, teams deal with uh, in the sport. You know, I've, I've, I've seen it now in two two races only, but I've, you know, I've heard quite a bit about some of the challenges other teams have faced with putting a bunch of type A leaders all together on the same team mm-hmm. and everyone wants to be in charge and nobody wants to be a follower. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, we're not immune to that in the military, but one of the things we all get training in to be good leaders, we're trained to be good followers. And so I think that that is a trait that will serve military folks well in adventure racing because you know not everyone has the map that can be in charge you know and that you got to trust the map guy and so so i think being a good follower is going to be something that will will serve well and then finally i think the last trait that you know serves us well from a military standpoint is is that trust feature um you know it's it's then that's a hard one i'm sure but you know trusting that you know our map you know map guy has the map and he's he's directing us and if he stops and says i need advice you know, we'll huddle, but otherwise, you know, it's sort of a blind trust, uh, and that's the same thing in, in, in active duty military. You know, you're, you're sort of blind trusting your leaders um, because they're, you know, in the nature of that position. Mm-hmm. So I think those are traits that, that bode well. Me personally, I'm a dietitian, and so, you know, I've enjoyed, you know, looking at, you know, my experience and expertise in sports nutrition and how that will um, play uh, into success of, of adventure racing. And I think one of the fun things that I've been thinking about thought about it a lot on Cowboy Tough was, you know, it seems to be a missing feature. There's no good books on nutrition and adventure racing that I've been able to find. There's some mixed advice, but some of it's wrong. (laughs) And so I think maybe this is an area where I personally can can contribute to the sport, Uh, you know, maybe, you know, write some articles or books on on, um, successful nutrition strategies for adventure racing. But I think I need more adventure racing experience before I can really sort of formulate, formulate, um, you know, good founded ideas but but i'm starting on it and uh that's that's been a fun little task and something i think i can use you know my experiences in the military to to, to bring my ar uh you know love along yeah makes sense okay that was that <clears throat> i got a lot of questions now <laughs> <laughs> go for it so okay 
so you talk about teamwork and checklists and you know following the book how you're trained for that but can you adapt when things go bad i mean are you trained to do that or is that just something you learn because you know what is it you know every plan works until the first shot but um how well so yeah. how well do you guys adapt when things you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe I believe the quote is um, uh, all all great plans survive uh, until first contact with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, this is not uncommon. Every military operation, whether it's a peacetime operation, a wartime operation, whether it's whether it's you know in garrison, meaning back at home, and we've got a mission to accomplish. You know, we put a plan together. Um, but when we put that plan together, everyone on a military team knows that plan is never going to work exactly as described. And so, you know, in the Air Force, we always talk about, you know, the key to the key to air power is flexibility. Um, you know, every service has their own sort of, uh, you know, moniker with that. But being flexible is key and in, in success. And so, it's ingrained in us. And I think that uh, we try to um, we try to be successful with it. But I will be honest with you, it's a challenge. We we struggle with it. Just like anybody does, you know we, you know we, we our plan is to take three checkpoints, but in the moment we want to take five, but you know then we start an argument over whether if we do that we have enough time to finish or not. And so, you know, I mean, just like any team, we would struggle with things like that. But I think, um, you know, we we tend to make decisions quickly and just, you know, you are yeah, we going to go left or right? And then we say left, and then we just commit to it. But, and then once you're committed, you you know if you commit to the wrong decision, then we'll we'll deal. Um, but I think in, mil- in the military mindset, you know, we, we don't spend a whole lot of time deliberating. We we look at the facts, we make a decision, and then we, we, we commit. Yeah. Well, I think that can be a killer for people is, uh, yeah, indecision. I mean, I, I personally, I have watched teams argue for 20 minutes whether they should take a 10-minute nap. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah. And, and then the other thing is, and, and I've seen this firsthand, Paul, that was on a team with three Marines for Primal Quest in 09. The team captain was a captain. The other two who were inexperienced, to say the least, were majors. But Tosh would sometimes defer to their rank, even though he was the team captain. Um, Does rank have its privileges in adventure racing on your team? Sometimes? I mean, maybe even subconsciously? Um... No, no. In fact, that's a really good that's a really good question, um, and it's probably something that someone who's not in the military may not may not appreciate so much. I mean, from the movies that people watch, rank usually has a structure, and the person with the highest rank usually is in charge. I get it. And in fact, in, on our team, uh, I believe I'm, I'm the one who holds the highest rank, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Colonel. We had a major uh, who's a doctor, and then we have Ron Flick, who's a, a senior enlisted person. Mm-hmm. But he he would be the guy that does all the work. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron, Ron would laugh at that, but yes, yes. Um, so, so, but but the reality is, is that um, a good leader knows um, who the where the knowledge where the knowledge center is. And for me, the knowledge center is Ron. Um, you know, he's the guy who's got thirty plus adventure races under his belt. And so, if we're having a disagreement, um, we'll you know I will make sure that Ron knows my point of view. Um, and I'll make sure that he acknowledges that he's, <laughs> you know, he's heard my point of view. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm I've I'm re- resigned to let Ron lead this effort because he's he's the most experienced at it, and it makes sense. You know, if we were going into battle, you know, Ron's been in combat, you know, and more times than me. And so, you know, I, it doesn't matter that I'm higher in rank. If 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 you know, I, I need to trust Ron's, you know, Ron's judgment, and that's that's sort of that blind trust we have. At the end of the day, though. You know, there are some responsibilities that someone with higher rank has. Um, in the military situation, you know, I don't shirk those responsibilities at all. And at the end of the day, I would, you know, the final say would be mine. But, mm-hmm. you know, in an adventure race, you know, it's not it's not a pure military situation. So we respect yeah. the rank, but we also respect the fact that, you know, this is not, we're not in the military. No one's getting shot at. You know, we're not in the, you know, military is the art of war, right? And so, yeah. but, but we're not at war. And so this is actually an enjoyable experience. And so we try to keep... The, the rank is there, but we try not to to make it a make it a make it an issue. Yeah, makes sense. Well, it's kind of like when married couples race; they all say they're not married while they're racing. Um, yeah, that doesn't. That doesn't. You know, it's, I mean, you could say that, but you're right. I mean, you try yeah. to you try to be you know you try to be very um, you, know, you separate that out so that you don't get things things don't get complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
What did Ron say to you to get that made you want to come to Cowboy Tough? That there was a woman behind every tree. No, I'm kidding. Okay. There's no trees, and there's no women, and I'm happily married. Um, yeah. No, or, he, uh, or a sheep. You know, it's Wyoming. Yeah. Let's make the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, sheep behind every tree. Um, so, what did Ron say to um, Cowboy Tough? You know, he just asked me. Honestly, I've, I've, he hit me at the right time. I was uh, vulnerable to do something new. I'm sort of having going through a period in my life where I'm looking for some more more adventure and excitement and something new and. Um, he asked me, and, and he's, he's actually been asking me and trying to get me to do adventure race for a while. Um, we went down to uh, we, we'd actually I signed up for Cowboy Tough, and then got some advice from a couple other members in the team, uh, Dave Ashley, uh, Colonel Ashley, and a few others. That it would be really, really wise of me not to make an expedition race my very first event, and that we ought to do some other events as a team. And so, um, and I think that was great advice. We went down to um, to Georgia and did uh, the Blue Ridge adventure race down there and that was a great experience because we actually didn't have a great race at all we didn't finish um you know we, we officially we you know we, we struggled um i didn't realize how hard it was going to be um but you know that gave me a good starting point to realize how hard i needed to train um at least get how, how much more time i needed on my feet than i was giving myself so that i would mm-hmm. be more successful and when cowboy tough came around i was ready and i think the whole team was so yeah did you find, I mean, you say time on your feet. I th- Honestly, I think that's <clears throat> the biggest thing for adventure racing is literally just spending time on your feet with your pack on, just moving. Um, you know how to do everything else, but your body really needs to get used to that constant yeah. movement. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's hard to train. So a good example is, you know, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the Cowboy Tough route, and we are going to spend, you know, more than a half a day sitting in, a canoe mm-hmm. for us it was 17 hours yeah. um i know for some of the elite teams it was probably more like 15 or less but um 17 hours how do you train for 17 hour canoe ride mm-hmm. you know like like i mean the most i spent was 40 a period of 45 minute gym workouts where i was doing i was on the rower for 45 minutes and i nearly wanted to slip my wrists it was mm-hmm. so boring and so um you know it, i mean the same with trekking i mean how do you train you know, for trekking 30 plus miles, or how do you, how do you train for, you know, for mountain biking 200 miles, which you can train for, but now say, now you got to do it in 27 hours. And so, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to train for some of this stuff. And so there's just pure time on your feet, I think is, is, is definitely a big advantage. Um, you know, it's something that I was, I, you know, I gave myself over the previous, previous race. Yeah. That uh, makes sense. Um, so what was your, what was your favorite physical part of Cowboy Tough? Favorite physical part? Um, well, I mean, gosh, the whole damn thing. I mean, I, I I hated the the I hated the 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 river, but loved it when I was done. Mm. I hated the um, some of the steepness of the climbs later in the um, later in the bike, mm-hmm. but at the same time, boy, the thrill of getting to the top was great. Um, I think I was just tired of carrying around a heavy pack and just just yeah. plain old tired. I mean, I, it was funny. I looked back at that climb. Bef- the, the climb we went up to that last TA before we came down it and up over Casper Mountain. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't ride it. I mean, it, it was it's funny. I mean, I, I I would have no problems riding that thing fresh or without a pack. Yeah. But for whatever reason, the combination of fatigue and just how tired I was and the pack I was carrying, it was a, a lot of that was just unrideable to me. So I think for me that that specific climb was one of the most challenging you know, hours, hour and a half in, in, in my, in my cowboy tough. Yeah. Um, so then the, uh, flip side of that is where was your mental low point of the race? Low point. Um, I was having a low point as we were crossing, uh, you know, we were at 9,000 feet coming out of one of the TAs. I can't remember which one it was, but we were, you know, high up and there was a storm, storm was blowing over, we just dealt with some lightning uh, in the middle of the night, and it was just you know I, I was I was so I was going through that problem with altitude where you you you're nauseous because you're at altitude, which means you're not drinking and eating, which is making it worse because you're at altitude and you need more calories uh, and water, and so you know I was sort of and I knew this you know I knew I was getting myself in a downward spiral, and so I was trying to sip water, um, you know I was trying to I was trying to just take care of business, but uh, it was just. I could feel myself falling apart, and 
it wasn't it wasn't it, my teammates seemed to be having a better moment at that time and so I didn't want to bring them down and so I was sort of struggling with that internally um, maybe that wasn't the right decision yeah. uh, you know to do but um, I made it through you know I, I was looking at the map and I realized we were going to be descending shortly and um, you know it took longer to descend than I thought but uh, you know once we got out of the, the higher altitude I was able to the nausea went away and I was able to just take in a lot of food and water and that felt felt a lot better yeah well I think maybe that should be a lesson learned you probably should have told your teammates you know yeah maybe maybe they take a little bit of your pack but but yeah i mean it's your second race you're, yeah no, that, i mean that was one baby. of the hindsights yeah i know right that was definitely one of the hindsight um lessons there is that it really does no good you know i wanted to be the tough guy right i wanted yeah. to not you know not have a problem but i think one of the things i'm learning in an adventure race is it doesn't matter how good you are everybody has a low point Right. Mm-hmm. So yep. it doesn't matter, you know, even, even everybody has one and it's, it's important to just tell folks, Hey, look, I'm going through a rough patch right now. I just wanted you guys to know that. And, yeah. um, you know, try not to push the pace too hard and, you know, keep me in mind when, when, you know, <laughs> you know, cause you know, it's good. The tides are going to turn, right. And it's going to be your turn for a low patch at some point. So it, it always does. Um, so just a couple more on adventure race and then we're going to move on a little bit to other stuff, but, um, what, uh, you obviously enjoy it. So, what's going to be next? What's your next adventure? Adventure. That's a good question. You know, I, I got home, and um, I think a great sign is I got home from Cowboy Tough, and I wasn't sore, so I'm recovering really well. And you know, I was excited about my next event. I wasn't. I mean, I don't want to see a canoe for a month, but other yeah. than that, like I'm looking for something. And so, I found that there's a small adventure race in Kentucky, and I'm gonna. It's it's one that looks like it's sort of beginner and family oriented. So I'm gonna I talked to my wife and she's uh, agreeable. So I'm gonna take her down there uh, in August and we're gonna go do that race. Um, hmm. I want to say Cumberland Lake. I, I got to look at it again. But uh, yeah, we're excited to go down there and it, you know they have a six hour and a twelve hour. And so we'll figure we'll figure something out. But yeah, we're gonna that's gonna be my next race. And then I'll keep looking forward on the calendar. So that sounds cool. So um, I want to go back now a little bit in time. Why did why did you join the Air Force? Why did I join the Air Force? Yeah. Wow. Um, I wanted to be a professional cyclist coming out of college, uh-huh. and I just didn't have – I was good, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the skills necessary to be successful at that level. And I'm actually kind of glad because if I was a little bit better and I was had a little bit better results, I might have taken the false choice of, of going that path, and that yeah. probably would have changed my life entirely. Um, I I needed to do something, and I had graduated with a degree in nutrition. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in med school. You know, it felt like to me at that time, it felt like med school was going to be forever. Um, my dad had passed away. My mom didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money. And so um, for me, I needed, I needed to get a job. I needed to do something pretty quick. And the military offered a program where if you got accepted to it, um, you'd go to a year-long internship, and coming out of it, you'd be a dietitian. And you'd be commissioned into the Air Force. And so for me, it seemed like a great deal. You know, I'd spend four years, uh, I'd make a little money, and I'd get a degree and a, and a credential out of it, and then I'd always have a job. Mm. And uh, four years later, I, I liked it so much that all of a sudden it's 19. <laughs> so it <laughs> goes so, quick. Well, what was it that you liked about about the Air Force? Um, you know, I think I, I, I found that I thrive with structure. Mm-hmm. And um, and that has really been the big thing for me. I, I, you know, I'm patriotic. I love my country, um, but you know, for me, it's really been the structure. I have thrived in this environment where you need to be challenged, you need to be busy, and and within the military, we reward people who work hard almost always. I mean, we, the military gets it wrong sometimes too, but you work your ass off and you do a good job and you're going to get promoted and you're going to get recognized and you're going to win awards. And for me, that's, that's just been, I mean, it's not the only reason I do things, but boy, is it nice to be in an organization that gets it, that takes care of people. And, you know, I, I, I'm scared to death about getting out and going to work for corporate America where, you know, it's, it's cutthroat and, and, and nobody cares about anybody but themselves. You know, here, you know, I genuinely, I love the people that that work for me. I mean, I genuinely love them. I love their commitment. I love their mission. I love, you know, and, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know how that's going to transition when I finally get out of the military, but um, that it, it's helped me to thrive, uh, you know, while I've been here. I've, you know, I've been deployed. Uh, you know, I was in Iraq when my, my son was born. I mean, there's been some hardships. You know, I've, I've 
been, you know, we've moved, well, I think 19, there's 13 times in 19 years. Um, so we, you know, we, we move around a lot, but, you know, I think for all of the, the hardships and the difficulties, you know, being away from home, traveling, missing the birth of my son, you know, moving so much, you know, I think, I think it's been a good life for us. You know, my wife, I think my wife would say the same. It's, well, that's cool. Um, okay. And this is a really stupid question. And I realize this is an adventure race podcast, but I've kind of been getting into being more interested in what people do. But what do you do as a dietitian in the Air Force? Not a stupid question at all. Um, <laughs> so I could, let me tell you what a dietitian does in general, and then I'll tell you what I specifically do in the Air Force. So a dietitian in general is a nutrition expert. Um, you know, there's there's everyone out there. You know, calls and you know thinks you know thinks they know what they're doing with nutrition. Everybody who works in a gym, you know, is a nutrition expert, and they're peddling you know supplements, and they're peddling protein powders, and they're peddling their favorite drinks and diets, and you name it, right? But the only people that have gone to school, studied, um, learned the science behind nutrition, um, and then taken a credentialing exam to prove that they know what they're talking about—that's no joke. It's a very difficult yeah. exam—is um, a registered dietitian, or um, and so. Typically, uh, you know, out of out of college, you, you you do this you know long internship, and you take the exam. You, you get the letters RD after your name, and it signifies you're a nutrition expert. And so, for anyone who's listening to the podcast, who you know is looking for someone who you know could help them, uh, you know, with diet, lose weight, gain weight, be better at adventure racing, you know, the first things you're looking for is, is an RD. And then um, over the years, I spent time working in hospitals, counseling patients on everything from diabetes to high cholesterol to losing weight to weight gaining weight to dealing with eating disorders. Um, and then also the clinical nutrition side of things. You know, if somebody gets, you know, shot in the stomach, uh, you know, and their intestines are all messed up that, you know, you can't, they can't feed, you know, eat or get, get food that drought, you know, how, how are we going to feed them? And a dietitian will help figure out the formulas for feeding, whether it's, you know, specialty formulas that are going into a, the gut or whether it's IV nutrition, um, we do all that. And we support the physicians uh, in, in taking care of patients. But over the years, um, you can get specialty certifications. And so um, the, the American Dietetic Association offers board certifications in a few areas. Um, pediatric nutrition, for example, is one of them. Sports nutrition is one. It's very difficult. You need to spend you know a quarter of your lifetime working in sports nutrition, pass a really difficult board exam. Um, but if you do, you can get the board certification in sports nutrition, and that's the CSSD, um, you know, that I, the letters that I carry after my name. And that indicates that if you, if you, if, if you are looking for someone who knows what they're doing with sports nutrition, um, that a board cert, you know, someone who's board certified in sports nutrition and a dietitian is the person you're looking for. And, you know, there's quite a few of us in the country and, um, you know, our expertise is in working with athletes. I've, I've spent uh, years working with everything from Olympic medalists, uh, you know, I was working with, uh, with Olympic gold medalist a few years ago to, um, you know, to working with somebody who's just getting into sport and, you know, needs to lose some weight or gain some weight uh, and everything in between and, and some unique jobs I've done. I've, you know, worked with uh, special forces. I've helped counsel, uh, you know, a few folks on dealing with uh, altitude acclimatization before they headed off to Afghanistan uh, and nutrition. I've, I've worked with uh, uh, pararescue units and educating them on, um, on how to use performance nutrition uh, to their advantage. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I literally get to do what I love every day as my job. I can't, I can't ask for anything more. And then one of the interesting things in the military is as you get higher in rank, you do less of that and more leadership. And so I'm sort of in that point in my life now where, you know, I still see patients. Um, and so I still, in fact, as soon as we get off the phone, I've got to go see a, some patients upstairs in the wards. But, um, you know, most of my day is now spent with leadership activities. I take care of the flight. I'm the senior biomedical sciences officer in the hospital. Um, I'm the, you know, sort of deputy squadron commander. So I'm helping out my boss and making sure everything in the squadron is going well. And so you know, that is typical of, of the military. As you get higher in rank, uh, you get more leadership responsibilities. Um, but for me, that's been great. I've enjoyed it. I've, I've uh, embraced it and thrived in it. So, yeah, sounds actually you make it sound uh, fun. <laughs> so you must really be passionate if you you know because most people think nutrition, oh, yeah, whatever. But um, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, what's your uh, secret vice that if your fellow nutritionists and dietitians saw you would be horrified. Oh, my secret vice. Um, so 
you'd be surprised. Um, us dietitians can eat like the best of them. We are we are eating experts. Um, we're also judging experts too. Um, my, I'll tell you what my vice in general is. I can't stand when I am shopping in the commissary. So a commissary is a supermarket that we have on military bases, and I will you know, and the food is much cheaper. There's no tax in there. It's it, and so a lot of us will shop in there to save money. So I'll be I'll be shopping in the commissary, and I'll have a bunch of food in my cart, and then I'll see a patient, you know, because I've worked on a base long enough, and they'll walk over and they're like, huh, regular soda in there, I see, and I'm, like, I, and then I get the judging back, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, I don't have high cholesterol, and I'm not overweight, so move along, you know, and so, um, yeah, it's kind of funny, but you know, I think that that's a vice, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't really have any secret vices. I think that was the only thing that probably would annoy me, though. So, um, yeah. I do, I do like donuts, so okay. I think my. Fellow dietitians might be a little horrified at that. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I think you get. I think you get a deep dark secret there, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> Maybe get it out of me next time, right? When yeah. I'm a little more tired. In li- yeah, in the middle of the race, I'll I'll just bring out a selection of junk food and see what you go for, what your eyes light up for. So, hey, you know, worth worth noting during a race, I'll eat whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think. I mean, there's you know, there's something to you know. Then one of the enjoyable things about a race is I can sort of let it go because I don't really know what I mean. Like I'll eat, I'll eat whatever during a race. So, um, okay, I got it. Actually, this this kind of is a serious question. How come whenever you have chocolate sweet, you want salty, and when you have potato chips with you, you want chocolate? <laughs> is, right. is that is that a real thing or is that just psychological? I think it's psychological, um, but there is something to overdoing it with sugar um, and underdoing it with salt. Uh, you know, um, n- no offense meant to the medical folks at uh, you know at Cowboy Tough, but you know, one of the, the gentlemen, and I think maybe he was just nervous when he was speaking, but you know, he said up in front um, during our medical brief that you know, you know, you don't need to drink till you're thirsty, and, and that's completely false, actually. You know, thirst is a terrible mechanism for hydration status. Um, you need to drink well before you're thirsty. If you're thirsty, you're dehydrated. And I think a lot of times people get dehydrated, and then um, you know, with long races like this, they have salt problems, and so they, you know, the, the, the requirements for sodium are much higher. And if that's not taken care of, your body can crave salty foods, um, significant, you know, pretty significantly strong. Um, but a lot of times, all we have on us is these, you know, sickeningly sweet, simple sugar foods, which just fill your gut up with simple sugar, and you know, it can be nauseating if you do too much of it. And so, I think a lot of things, times people just don't pack a good mix of both foods and keep them with you. You know, you need a salty and you need savory uh, and you need sweet. And, uh, you know, if you do a good job of packing that stuff, you can, uh, and keeping it, keeping mixing up, I think you can do a good job of, of um, you know, of meeting your needs. I'll give you a funny example. I brought sardines with me. Um, and I mean, it might sound like a completely gross food, but no joke, the most delicious thing I put in my mouth during the entire Cowboy Tough race was a bag of like canned chicken or a can, a can of, of, of like chicken and water and sardines, <laughs> you know, and I had some tasty food with me, you know, waffles and you name it, but it was those sardines. And, and so I think it just has to go with, you know, having what your body wants at the time that you want it. So, yeah. Well, there's a reason that Mr. Pringle invented chips in a can so you could carry them in your pack. That's right. <laughs> so, um, and I don't know if you noticed anything, but is there maybe something you saw with adventure racers that they all just got it wrong nutrition wise? Um, no, you know I don't think they got it wrong. I think what I'm seeing is uh, common mistakes. You know, I've been working with athletes for a long time, twenty years. I mean, right to the top, like I said, Olympic gold medalists. And and everybody, I mean, your, your body's getting you through. I mean, obviously they're not doing anything wrong. I mean, look at I mean, look at the adventure medical kit guys. I mean, they just blew the course out of the water. Um, so they're doing something right, right? But yeah. it doesn't mean that if I got into their nutrition, you know, nutrition plan for the race, it doesn't mean that I probably wouldn't find a couple things that you know maybe they could do better. Um, that's just the advantage of it. I mean, I think some teams, you know, do better or worse. Mm-hmm. But I think if you completely ignore your nutrition. Um, You'll be it'll be at the peril. I mean, of your being successful at adventure racing. I mean, you can't you can't shirk a 24-hour race as nutrition. I mean, maybe a two-hour bike ride you could you you could go with water and, and survive. But there's yeah. no way if you don't bring nutrition that you'll survive. And we saw that. I mean, I remember being at one of the final time stations and um, seeing. In fact, I think every person I saw go to medical during the entire race 
you know, I heard him make comments about how I just haven't been able to eat for a couple hours. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's part of the reason why you're going to medical. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I think I don't think any team got it all wrong, obviously. And I'm not so naive to think that, you know, I know everything. But um, I think there's a lot to learn. I think probably people ate too much simple sugar. Uh, I think a lot of times people probably take in more sodium than they need, not realizing how much they really need. I think they might put too much effort on uh, nutrients that aren't as important. And they probably aren't thinking about protein, which, you know, for a multi-day expedition race, you know, recovery is as important as the calories you're putting in. And so, you know, I think those are some areas that maybe people could could get smarter on. And like I said, I'm thinking about, you know, formulating some ideas and putting a – put a little uh, book or maybe a webinar together um, on nutrition and maybe that'll be something folks will be interested in. Yeah, because I think, um, you know, especially with maybe the top three teams, AMK and Technu and, you know, Yogi's and maybe even the Swedes, it, it it's a race and those marginal gains, you know, you know, can make a big difference. You know, Technu I, got sick. So yep, absolutely. Food. So, um, yeah, I think it's, maybe a lot of voodoo and hand waving in nutrition and adventure racing so um the, yep. uh, yeah the uh, in the land of the blind the one-eyed man who knows nutrition will be king yeah <laughs> exactly so, um let's here, here's the other thing i want to talk about <clears throat> is the usmes because you're the founder so what is it and what does it do usmes yeah we're a nonprofit, um, nonprofit organization that uh, supports active duty and veterans, military members who are looking at getting healthy. And our focus is on endurance sports, running, cycling, triathlon, and adventure racing. Um, and we're always looking to add more sports and, and, and other activities. But what we do is we provide members of the organization um, both the tools they need to be successful and we try to remove some of the barriers. I'll give you some examples. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a long list of deals and discounts that we, we have negotiated with companies so that our members can buy things at, at a discounted price so that the cost of getting into sport isn't prohibitive, at least not as prohibitive as it would be without, without these discounts. Yeah. Um, and then we also provide logistical support uh, and even uh, race entry fees to uh, to certain events. A great example is Cowboy Tough. Um, you know, uh, Ron, our adventure team lead, um, made Cowboy Tough one of the, the adventure racing focus events. And so we didn't have to pay the entire cost of the trip going there. Some, the, the organization paid for some of it. Um, and the same thing happens with the cycling and, and other events, uh, you know, throughout the organization. Hundreds of thousands of dollars is turned around and put back towards the members um, in various events. Uh, and, and activities, and so it's great. We also do camps and clinics, and so Ron is going to be working on planning an adventure racing camp, uh, hopefully this uh, this spring in the March time frame, along with our cycling and triathlon camps, and we're pretty excited. We're going to try to back them up together so that uh, folks that go to our other camps can sort of experience it all together. And, uh, you know, they think that that's one of the highlights of the organization. We have, we have some great kits and clothing, and um, we do education educational seminars you know i've done i've done education seminars on nutrition we've had people come in and talk about uh training with power and uh uh, training training when you have a busy life and and time management and so um we've tried to do a little bit a little bit for everything and so right now we're at about 1250 1300 members and we continue to grow by about 50 members a month or so and uh you know i think i think we hit a nerve and i think we 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 have fill a gap that uh is, is definitely needed and uh and i think that's why we've been so successful so um, <clears throat> here's a, I don't know what kind of question this is. Does it make your life easier being a military-affiliated uh, team in dealing with people? Because um, there's a lot of teams out there that are looking for stuff. You guys, Oh, you mean trying to get free stuff? No. I mean, you know, honestly, like, you know, you it, probably, it's a fair yeah, You get fair your foot question. in the door a little easier? And then um, you got a pitch. So that's a, that's a great question. I do not. We we do not use our military affiliation at all. In fact, it, it's not legal. We we don't we don't walk into a company and say, you know, if you support me, you know, the Air Force stands behind you. You know, that's that we're that's illegal and we're not allowed to do it. Um, what I do tell a company is is 
as, as, a, as working with a military organization, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get, you know, if, if you support USMES, you're going to get 12 to 1300 and growing, you know, active duty and veteran members who are trying to get healthy and they're trying to get healthy for a benevolent reason and they serve their country and they, and they, you know, and, 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 they, and they've done some great things and they're looking for help. And, and if you're, if you are willing to help them, we'll take it. And oh, by the way, let me tell you some of the qualities of the people on our team. We're fiercely loyal. You know, we, we, we listen to each other. We're respectful. We, you know, we're honest. You know, integrity is the very first trait in everybody's core values in the military, regardless of service. And so, you know, we have a no-tolerance doping policy. And so, you, you know, when working with, with our organization, you're going to get a certain type of person, you know, as an as a, as a ambassador for your products. And, and that's, that's what I talk about. None of us, we don't go out, you know, touting the military side of it. I mean, it's, it's obvious we're, you know, we're a, a nonprofit that restricts its membership to military members, but it's not something that we go into, into the, the organizations asking for stuff. That's not what we lead with. Um, it's there, but it's not, it's not the reason we want them to support us. We want them to support us for who we are and what we do and what we stand for. So. Cool. I'll see. That's, didn't know that. That's very interesting. I'm glad I asked. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, and as a nonprofit, I mean, the reason, one of the reasons why we created a nonprofit to begin with is because, um, as an active duty member, you can't, you can't receive endorsements. Uh, now, as a nonprofit, we can't, we can't either. But, um, but at least it allows us to to work some sponsorship things in, and um, you know, that makes it a little bit easier. So, okay, you get you get your act together. <laughs> Thank you. Um. So, well, what, what else does, I mean, how do you guys support people at races? Do you, you know, you, you guys got some, some help with Cowboy Tough. Um, you do that for running, triathlon. I mean, yep. So it, 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 we do it across the board. Um, the, the support varies depending on the event. So a good example, if it's a large cycling event, like maybe like uh, the Hankapi Grand Fondo is a wonderful Grand Fondo in the, in the Southeast. And, you know, we'll have anywhere between 20 and 50 people will go to that event and we'll help pay registration fees and lodging. Um, so we'll stay at a team, as a team together in a lodge that we rent um, and we'll provide, you know, our nutrition support to everyone who goes to it, uh, you know, or it might be something a lot less, like maybe a smaller race, like a mountain bike race in Portland where we've only got three or four members going and, you know, instead of covering entry fees and lodging, since there's only three or four people, maybe I'll send them a box of Honey Stinger and Goose and some T-shirts and, and uh, you know, member, uh, become a member cards, and they're going to spend some time trying to recruit more people in the Northwest. Um, it might be something in the middle, you know, where, you know, we'll provide some money but not not cover the entire fee or, um, you know, or somewhere, or we'll, maybe we'll provide some race tactical advice, like someone's doing a new event and they have no idea, so we'll we'll get on the message boards and find out who's done it before and, connect them with somebody who's done the event so they have a better idea of what's going to happen there. That, and that's what happened with Cowboy Tough for me. I, I reached out to find other people that have done this event before to, um, you know, to, to learn something from them. J.D. Eskelson, you know. Uh, you can't, you can't learn anything from him. <laughs> I disagree. You can learn yeah. something from everybody, right? Um, yeah. Shane Hagerman. So. Yeah. yeah, so there was actually, there are a lot of you at the race. Let's at least six. Yeah, I think Is so. That... Um, you know, I saw Shane there and JD there, yeah. um, and then uh, of course our team. So yeah. yeah, and and honestly, there are probably a lot more people that are eligible for mm -hmm. USMES that were were there that just don't know about the program. And um, and one of the nice things that this is an important comment I'd like to get in is that yeah. it doesn't matter. You don't have to race with USMES to be in the organization. So for some people, it's great and they want to race on the team. But you know, if, if there's a member of Yoga Slackers that you know has is a veteran but mm -hmm. doesn't want to leave Yoga Slackers but would love to be in USMES and support the program, they can be a member. And so, I mean, that's one of the nice things that we do, and it, it co covers all the sports. You know, if you're a cyclist on a local team, um, but you still want to be a member of USMES, that's absolutely acceptable. We don't we don't restrict membership. Now, what I will say is, is if you're if you're not racing in the team kit, you're not racing in the team colors. You know, you're not going to get a lot of the financial support. Yeah. Um, you know that somebody otherwise would. But there's other things you would get support for. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's well worth it. Well, we'll put a we'll put the link to the website in the show notes. So, you know, if you if you qualify, why wouldn't you? You know. You exactly. Got, you got to buy stuff. It's always good when you can get a, even a discount, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, well, we'll wrap this up, but um, 
where do you see yourself in the next five years as far as adventure racing? What do you have a do you have a goal in the back of your mind? Oh yeah, I will lay it down right now. I'm I am I'm, I'm going to find a way to win to put a team together that can can win a race. Like we're not there yet. We've got a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm taking the time and, and, and I'm willing to learn it in a nice methodic and slow fashion, mm-hmm. but but I've got a goal at the end of it and 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 I want to I want to throw down and um and be able to you know clear a course and, and throw down the time that the winning time maybe not cowboy tough maybe something else but but yeah I want I want to I want to put USMES up there with some of the elite teams that'd be okay. great that's a good goal um just okay one more <laughs> <laughs> um. How long do you think the perfect race would be for you? I mean, are you a? Do you think you do good in a seven-day race or a ten-day race or a two-day race or? I like the three to four-day uh, yeah. range. I, I mean, I've never done a seven or ten-day, so yeah. I don't know. That, that that seems exceedingly long to me. Um, it doesn't seem like something that would even be viable for me as an active-duty military. I don't think I could take that much time off. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think I'm going to focus on the, the sort of three to four-day uh, range right now. So, sounds good. Um, I suppose better let you go see some patients, huh? Yeah, got a got a ten o'clock. It's gonna be waiting for me when I get off the phone with you. But I've really, I will say, I really enjoyed, uh, um, you know, the podcast here, and uh, I enjoyed seeing you out on the course. And you know, I'm new to the AR community, but I can't, I can't say it, uh, you know, strongly enough. It's a very welcoming and warm community. Um, I wasn't, I didn't see anybody who had that sort of personality that you know would shut out a beginner um, from it. And so. You know, I think yeah. I think that's you know, if, if someone is listening to this and they're thinking about getting into the sport, you know, I would tell them to jump in, find us, find a small AR, or find somebody that you know can mentor them and, and get them get their hand or hold their hand to get into it because um, the community is is warm and accepting. I mean, it's it's race time for you know when when it's race day, but um, I didn't feel like you know I didn't belong there even though it was one of my first races. So yeah, I think that's that's very very true. So all right, everybody. Um, I got to tell everybody to go fast and take chances, and thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for the chat, Jim. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.
like it, you can't send it.